Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to the podcast Plan B. Plan B is brought to you by Upstream, www.thinkupstream.net. They deal with the social determinants of health, and we're glad to be able to talk to you today about some of the things that we have to consider in the COVID-19 crisis in which we find ourselves at the present moment. Dr. Chris Mackey is going to help me with that today. He's the CEO of Canada's largest independent local public health agency, the Middlesex London Health Unit. He's also done a lot of groundbreaking work on opioid and the opioid crisis. And now we have to turn ourselves to another crisis in health. And that is one I'd like to talk to him about. Hello, Dr. Mackey. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Ralph. My pleasure. I I want to talk to you about a a, a sliver of this, and then we can expand out afterwards. And that sliver is one that seems to cause a lot of confusion, and that is the mask. Everyone's talking about the mask, and I don't think anybody's sure where we're going, what mask for what, what works, what doesn't. So could you help us a bit on that? Sure. Well, so let's start with uh, the most common use of a mask these days, uh, you know, up until very recently, the only time really in the hospital where people were wearing masks was uh, in surgery in order to avoid any contamination whatsoever of the surgical field, which just generally needs to be sterile. Uh, more recently, uh, in recent years, we've started using masks for patients who are sick in hospital Uh, when they come in with, you know, a fever and a a respiratory illness, uh, because those illnesses can easily be spread, and they often are uh, illnesses that are associated with outbreaks here and there. Uh, But other than that, very little use of masks, even in hospitals, uh, let alone in the community up to recently. And part of that is cultural as well. In parts of the world, uh, wearing a mask as you walk down a street in a polluted city is quite normal. And, and that's the thing. It's, it, you know, when you're wearing a mask walking down the streets of, you know, Shanghai, you're generally not doing it to avoid catching an infection from somebody you walk by on the street. You're generally doing it uh, for the pollution issues. Uh, you've also got as, uh, a culture where when people are ill in, you know, China, for example, they'll wear a mask in order to prevent spreading their infection to others if they have to be out and about. Uh, you know, these are generally uh, perfectly uh, acceptable and in some ways helpful uh, cultural aspects of masking. But a mask is a mask is a mask. Like there's, there's all these different masks. Can you break down what the different masks are and what they're for? Sure. So the two main types of masks that we're talking about would be surgical masks or something equivalent to that, uh, where it's really about catching droplets and stopping, you know, when you're coughing or sneezing or even vigorous talking can release droplets and uh, just catching those at your face. Are those paper or are they cotton? Yeah, I mean, they're they're a combination of materials, but mostly uh, paper. And they they catch... uh, you know, either way, droplets who might that might be coming from a patient in, in close contact with the the uh, healthcare provider or vice versa. The next level is the N95 mask. Uh, N95 masks are meant to prevent uh, the spread of airborne particles, so basically dust particles that, in a very small handful of illnesses, can actually 
transmit illness from one person to another. N95s have to be fit tested, so you've got to have a you know a, a test with a machine that will tell you you know if it's fitting properly to seal to your face. Uh, and they're they're generally not used in the community or in healthcare very often. So the the N95 mask is that actually structurally different than the paper mask I can get anywhere? Yeah, N95 masks have uh, the main difference is that they have a better seal, so that you won't get particles floating in and in or out. Uh, virtually all our particles are eliminated and so you know a lot of the materials are uh, similar although the filtering is a bit higher quality uh, but it's actually the seal that is the most important part that sets N95 masks or also also known as N95 respirators apart from other masks if you if a lay person looked at somebody wearing a surgical mask versus N95 they wouldn't necessarily uh, know the difference, but the difference is really in their technical performance. So the, for the average Canadian who's dealing with COVID-19 right now, should they take and keep N95 masks? Definitely not. This would be really for hospital use only. And, you know, there's even some argument that N95 masks aren't useful in the hospital in general either uh, because the, the disease we're talking about coronavirus is not spread through those tiny dust particles it's spread through droplets like cough or sneeze within one or two meters and unless you get that projected right into your mucous membranes uh, you're, you're not going to catch the illness and, and surgical mask does as good a job there, there's a few situations where in the hospitals uh, there really is a strong case to use n95 respirator masks and those are essentially where you have what we call an aerosol-generating procedure. Like if somebody is getting intubated uh, or there's a scope being done into their lungs, that can produce some really vigorous coughing, which can actually potentially uh, project those droplets further than they would otherwise go. So really, if a person's wearing a mask, they're trying to protect you from them. Exactly, in, in the hospital for sure. And then when, when staff are doing those intubation procedures, they will also wear the N95 uh, respirators to protect themselves. So we'll get into homemade masks in a minute, but I want to move to the highest level of health support, which is people are on ventilators. Those ventilators, do they, how sterile are they? How efficient are they? And, you know, how do we maintain those? Because we're going to need a lot of them. Yes, exactly. And so uh, people sometimes get confused between respirators and ventilators. The respirator is the N95 mask. The ventilator is the equipment that helps somebody breathe when their breathing capacity is, you know, not sufficient. And uh, the, the people are generally intubated, so they have a tube down in, into their uh, bronchi, right into their lungs. Uh, and the, the machine, the, the ventilator, is forcing air in and out of them. Uh, at a, a rate and a volume that they otherwise wouldn't be able to handle. And it's generally, you know, high percentage oxygen air so that the person is able to get the oxygen they need, even if their lung capacity is much lower because of a serious pneumonia. So let's talk about the um, homemade mask or even the bandana. I mean, can we just be putting anything over our mouths? Yeah, so... Uh, 
a, a homemade mask might approach the protection of a uh, of a, sur a surgical mask. Uh, the, the, I mean, you, you're generally going to get decent protection from droplets by wearing kind of anything over your face, and that is the main route of spread. They, they wouldn't necessarily be as likely to, you know, if you got uh, significant contamination, uh, they might, you know, soak through more easily than a surgical mask. Uh, so they might not be quite as efficient, but uh, they, they could help uh, to keep some of those droplets off your face. So, yeah, the other part of this that I've been hearing from certain sources is that um, I should put a mask or a bandana or something over my mouth and nose because I'm going to touch my face. Not because I'm going to breathe on someone because it's not airborne in the same way, but it's literally because I have a reflex constantly in a day to touch my face. So if I'm at the supermarket, I touch a counter shelf and then I touch a scratch underneath my nose, a little itchy. And next thing I know, I'm infecting myself. But if I have a barrier, even if I reflexively do that, I've got a better chance of not contracting. Is that well, real? You know, that might work for some people. The, the reality, though, is that uh, if you're wearing a bandana or even a surgical mask, you're sometimes more likely to touch your face than less. So it, right. it's really the training yourself, the discipline to, uh, to not do that. And actually, the best thing that I've seen for that is to just uh, videotape yourself, put a Put a, put a uh, you know, iPad in the corner and watch yourself for an hour or so and just see all the times and the ways you touch your face and what might be going on there and what you could be doing uh, differently. Give yourself that little feedback to, uh, to educate yourself. I know, but I, I get the feeling I'd look at it and go, wow, I really do touch my face, and then I touch my face. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the other great advice that I've heard is that if you have a glass of whiskey in each hand, Yes. Then it's, it's very unlikely that you would touch your face. Now, again, <laughs> not the solution that works for everybody. No, I, I would think not. Um, obviously, this is a very serious subject because it really, uh, we're dealing with something that you can't see coming at you. And it's scary for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people still think that it's about the thing about three to six feet has, is because it's airborne when really it's not. Yeah, people don't make that distinction necessarily between droplet spread and airborne. They think just because it goes through the air when you sneeze or cough that it's airborne, that's not right. Uh, and really, we're, we're pushing towards two meters, uh, six feet. Uh, another analogy that I've seen used is move apart, stay one cow's length away from anyone you're speaking to, uh, which I think in some parts of our country would be a helpful little guideline. Yeah, I don't know about downtown Montreal, but I, I think it'll help in some places, no doubt. You know, there's, there's people who are, um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there when it comes to how we can help. I mean, you, you've dealt with things like the opioid crisis, where people really have had to understand what they thought they knew, throw it out the window and say, no, no, this is what's really going on here. And in some ways, we're in a, a similar situation in that there's a lot of people who have fears and those fears manifest in misinformation. How do we counter that? How do we make sure people end up doing the right things instead of, you know, my, my cousin's friend Joe said? 
For sure. Uh, and fears can lead to overreaction or underreaction. You know, some people react to that fear with denial. Uh, and so, so that is a pretty normal human reaction and uh, often an unhelpful one. The, the key there is when you do come into those situations, uh, educate yourself, get yourself onto, you know, one of those credible websites, Public Health Agency of Canada, World Health Organization, US CDC. These are organizations that are providing really high quality information and can really get you educated so that uh, you can approach from a place of knowledge. And as we know, in these situations, knowledge is power. So if I go to the supermarket, which I'm quite afraid to do these days, uh, honestly, I see all this stuff and I know everybody's touched it. Um, there's people trying to go by each other with shopping carts within a f less than a foot of each other because that's how those aisles are built. Um, is there any point in me wearing a mask in there? You know, if, uh, if you're going to be face to face with people like it, if you were going to be riding a subway car crammed in with, you know, hundreds of people, uh, you could make a case that uh, wearing a mask might make a difference. It would make a small difference. It's not nearly as helpful as it would be uh, for a sick person in a hospital to wear a mask or, you know, for a, a healthcare provider who's treating a lot of sick people to wear a mask. That's when the masks are most, most useful. But you could make a case that if you, when you're going out in public, if you have no choice to be but to be face-to-face -face with many people, a mask might make a difference. But again, it's a relatively minor difference compared to doing that social distancing, you know, keeping six feet away from people. Uh, these are things that are going to help more and... Uh, and washing your hands. Reduce your risk more. Yeah, washing your hands seems to be one of the biggest washing things. Washing hands is incredibly important, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, credit to a lot of the stores who have gone above and beyond to make sure that we have hand sanitizer available, distant wipes for the carts, uh, they're spacing us out with the tape on the floor, all of that makes a difference. Um, you've been doing public health, uh, you have, a, what, 300 people that work with you. Um, have you ever seen anything like this? You know, this is really off the charts. It's a combination of, you know, two of the worst pandemics in uh, my career anyways. So this is something that is spreading as easily as the swine flu or H1N1 did, but it's as fatal as SARS was back in 2003. So, you know, when you compare to the great plagues of history, we're still on a pretty small scale, you know, 40,000 deaths around the world compared to millions or hundreds of millions in, you know, the bubonic plague or smallpox or that sorts of thing, those sorts of things. But uh, in, at least in the uh, 20 years that I've been in the medical field, uh, this is something that's really unprecedented. Are we doing the right things? We're doing about as well as we can in the circumstances that, you know, some of the things that are going really well, hospitals are expanding their uh, ICU capacity so that we have ventilators. Uh, some other systems in, you know, you've heard about Italy and even upstate in New York City, uh, you've seen their hospital systems become overwhelmed. We are well prepared for the most severe patients. Uh, and that, but that, that's assuming that the rest of us can do our part in doing the physical distancing that keeps the virus from spreading uh, too rapidly. If we can do that, I think our healthcare system is going to be all right. My, my biggest question right now 
is around uh, supply of masks for healthcare workers. Uh, we're really touch and go, it's day to day. I know the federal government and other uh, parts of government are working very hard to get more masks in. We don't have you know, a huge excess right now. The way people are isolating, it's gonna have a, an effect on us mentally and emotionally as well, right? For sure, and you know, one of the key parts of responding to this is to, is to find those things that are gonna be work, that are gonna work for your mental health. Uh, people need to find ways of exercising in and around their homes. Uh, people need to find ways of connecting with friends and loved ones uh, and colleagues through online uh, methods and uh, finding things to entertain themselves. And otherwise, it will be very hard to stick to the recommendations that we might find ourselves, you know, even maybe subconsciously spending more time in the groceries or, or uh, grocery stores or, or other places where uh, there is some risk of spreading that infection. Some people say we're going to change because of this. In some ways good, in some ways bad, but some people are saying, you know, I, 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 I look at my life and I think, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I commuting every day? Why am I doing all these crazy things? You know, I mean, it, could, it could have another effect too, I guess. I think you will see changes. And one of the, you know, as an example, um, cruise ships, I think that industry is going to be hit harder than anything, and it'll be some time before people uh, go back to that sort of environment. And I mean, from a public health perspective, that's not all bad. Uh, we've seen outbreaks of norovirus that have hit the cruise ship industry for many, many years. Uh, it really is a high concentration of people forcing people to touch, you know, the same surfaces uh, as thousands of others every day. Uh, so some of those changes will actually help our health in the long run. It is the mental health, though, where we're going to be, have to be creative to uh, really avoid negative impacts in the long term. You know, uh, ironically, a good friend of mine for 26 years has been a stand-up comedian on cruise ships. Is that right? So uh, he's out of a job at the present moment in time. But that, that's how weird the whole thing becomes. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us and uh, thank you for the work that you do. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ralph. Dr. Chris Mackey is the CEO of Canada's largest independent local public health agency, the Middlesex London Health Unit. Well, that's it for Plan B. I'm Ralph Benmergi, and Plan B is brought to you by Upstream. If you want to find out more about the great work that Upstream does, looking at the social determinants of health, it is at www.thinkupstream.net. This project has also been made possible in part by the Government of Canada. Take care of each other. Bye-bye.